and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where a psychologist and an anthropologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer, and we try to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown. With me is Chris Kavanagh, the, uh, let's see, the Watson to my homes, as we're, as we're figuring out what's going on, what the mystery is with the gurus. Sometimes, as you know, Chris, it's a Moriarty-type figure, devilishly difficult to decode. Other times, it's more of uh, Colonel Mustard hit them over the head. Dave Rubin. Uh, Dave Rubin type person. Uh, but we get there in the end either way. How you doing, mate? I'm all right. I I think I am like Watson because wasn't he like a battle-hardened veteran that like, <laughs> grounded the airy fairy uh, Sherlock in his, his crazy theories? No, his theories were all correct. So that's not like, the same dynamic, but apart, yeah. apart from that. Yeah, yeah. Holmes was, was uh, he was dissolute. Yeah. He would land around, sleep in. He was a cocaine addict as well, and wasn't he? A cocaine addict. He had substance issues. So, you know, maybe it kind of works in various ways. Who's Moriarty? Eric Weinstein? <laughs> yeah, definitely really is. He, he's a nemesis. <laughs> I said good day, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> Damn you, Moriarty. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, actually, our last episode, Matt, was the lab leak episode. I don't know if you remember. No, I don't. <laughs> it's all yeah. a blur. It's what we did, we talked with Christian, Eddie, oh, yeah. and, and Michael. Remember them? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. And it. It, was, it was, I would say, overall, very positively received and got a lot of nice feedback about people, you know, whatever their various conclusions were. People seemed happy to be able to hear from relevant experts and for them to have like long enough time and and address various questions that they themselves have been wondering about so we did a good thing matt it, it's not like us but i wonder did you notice the reaction amongst the conspiracy prone lab leakers oh did I did. I did see that. Now, I'm not going to do as good a job as you, but just to prove that I do remember some things, I am aware of some things. I think it was Ridley who must have listened because he no. seems to think, okay, all right. Well. <laughs> Sorry, I've already punctured the balloon before I went up. And what he, what he, the reason I say I don't think he listened is because he was citing a tweet of someone else who was summarizing a thing from the conversation. Oh, so it, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I was on the right track. You'd have to agree. Um, you are, you're on the right track because he was highlighting a tweet where the person leapt on a detail that Christian kind of offhandedly mentioned about Ebola viruses when working. And he was talking, he was actually talking about people spinning up conspiracies where they were accusing him of being responsible for another lab leak, right? That the Ebola, um, Ebola. Mm. was due yeah. to him. He's a busy guy, this Christian <laughs> Anderson. Pretty nefarious, really, traveling around the world, releasing yeah. <laughs> So they took his statement as confirming something of significance about working on Ebola in the lab. And Matt Ridley leapt on that as well to say, oh, you know, maybe I hadn't considered enough the possibility of this being. So I think that should have actually served as an illustration to people about the level 
of the the difference in approaches, right? Mm -hmm. So a small segment of hand comment is taken as like a hugely significant revelation, a slip of the tongue, which gives away the whole game where Christian Anderson is is planning to like infect everyone with viruses from for what reason? Who knows? He's just a villain <laughs> out there, you know, unclear how this leads to grants, right? Like, you know, I guess, yeah, there's no actual viruses. So he just has to go around creating them all. So he's in work. That's, that's, that's the way it goes. So, yeah, but it's just, it was bound to happen, you know, the conspiracy. And this is a, a perfect illustration that there is a community, a group, a receptive audience that is conspiracy prone and even from, you know, a long technical conversation where you could take issues with, you know, various details or, or the general thrust of the way that they present things. No, it's latching on to a throwaway comment to mm. uh, invent this kind of nefarious scheme and mm. yeah. a, a different release another virus. So, yeah. yeah, some kind of purported smoking gun that they're hiding in plain sight. No, he, he slipped up, Matt. He slipped up. Uh, oh, he, yeah. he said uh, it, you know, just mm. he, he got too comfortable and he's give the game away. So, yeah. It's fun discourse. But anyway, best of oh. luck to everyone dealing with that. Yeah, it won't be us. And, and, you know, in our whinge of the week segment, Matt, you may have <laughs> forgot that we have that segment. <laughs> it, you know, periodically comes or, you know, it, it, it flutters around. But Lex Friedman just did a podcast with Sam Harris. That would usually <laughs> have good potential for somebody <laughs> to, to be complaining about various things. But I'm not going to give it to that, Matt, because there's a clear winner for me this week. And I think you'll agree when I describe it. I presume you, like many others, noticed Jordan Peterson has been tweeting about things this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very frequently. Yeah, people who are on Twitter will know what we're talking about. People who aren't on Twitter, you don't want to know probably. Oh, no, no, Matt. Do they not? So Jordan Peterson, former star of Decoding the Gurus, celebrity psychologist to the world, and noted person, I think one of his rules for life was like be precise in your speech or or something like that. One of his twelve rules originally. He he does go on these tweet storms where he's not entirely precise, but even by his standards, he achieved quite an impressive feat when he seemed to be duped by by some account which repurposed a scene from uh, a particular fetish, apparently like a restrained. Milk, cum milking. <laughs> There's no way to describe it in a family-friendly way, is there? Um, no, I'm sorry, but yeah. that's the, the image. I'll paint the picture is of somebody <laughs> strapped to a medical table with a kind of a pump of some description attached to a particular appendage while they're restrained on the table in a kind of grim hospital, hospital. lit setting, and and Jordan. Uh, the the tweet was saying something about you know the dystopic future under the CCP and Jordan happily retweeted this with some commentary about what a terrible event this was, not noticing that it was in fact a scene from a fetish pornography um, yeah. movie. 
Yeah, so. not exactly practicing discernment there. And as you know, Chris, we've been writing a little bit about Jordan Peterson in a little article that we are working on because he is in many ways the grandpapa of gurus. And um, it actually inspired me to go back and scroll all the way back and look at some of his earliest content, like some of the mm. very first videos that he released on YouTube. And they seem to be filmed like at his university. I think that there are university students in the auditorium and a much younger and spryer looking Jordan Peterson is talking there. And because I was just interested in to what degree he was different. And, you know, I was, I was definitely struck by the fact that he is, he's just objectively a good lecturer in terms of his style and delivery is quite enviable. But the content is not good. The content is not good. He was talking about something about evil and meaning. And he claims that, that Hitler was subconsciously actually aiming for his own suicide in a bunker and the destruction of Germany. Like that was his kind of subconscious plan all along because he was motivated by a subliminal Jungian death archetype and Thanatos or something like that, you know. So that's the hot take, right? Hitler was aiming for that all along. And I get the Jungian vibe, but I mean, it's just fundamentally a stupid proposition. He's putting it forward in a very erudite sounding way, but it's really just silly. So no. yeah, it's just interesting to note that, you know, back when he was more functional, like I you hear a lot of people saying about this guru or that guru was, oh, they were good, but they went crazy, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Jordan Peterson has gotten worse. He was definitely more functional. When he was younger, pre-addiction, pre-illness, pre-notoriety, but yeah. his ideas weren't any better. Like it, that was no. silly. No, yeah, I I completely agree because like I remember I got on the Jordan Peterson train pretty late. Like it wasn't. I was just ignoring him as much as possible. But because you know it was just just tons of stuff. I I got the basic gist of what he was up to with you know the the Canadian bill and misrepresenting it and all that. But the when I actually spent any time with his content, I immediately was like, okay, this I, I get this. And it, the thing that kept hammering me was like the level of religiosity in it. Like it's not a normal amount of religiosity for a psychology, psychology lecture, professor, no, an empirical-minded no. psychology professor at, no. at that, supposedly. So, yeah, yeah I agree that he's definitely gotten more extreme, more polemical, and more cartoonish. But he was always mixing in these kind of very speculative theories or anecdotes in with his lectures. So mm -hmm. he, he's just like kind of refined his shtick, if you want. Like mm. it, it's, it's both more polished and more unhinged. Yeah, yeah, no, I, more, it's more exaggerated, but yeah, not so different. And the other thing you put me on to, because we will be mentioning this fine fellow as well, is uh, some of the latest output in new discourses by our no. old friend James Lindsay. And he, I, he wins Winger of the Week. Like, he is just like <laughs> constant Winger. So, like, he doesn't actually factor in because. He's just constantly whinging. So he's disqualified yeah. from competition now because Correct. he's just, yeah. So I, you got me onto his latest little thing, which is called A Homily to Young Men. And that was really interesting because he is now getting into 
kind of budget Jordan Peterson. He even talks about making your own bed and like it's like a homily. It is a homily to young men. Talks about the four talents and the parable and how you need to be a strong man so you can defend the women in your family. In fact, he spends the first 20 minutes talking about how you might need to fight a cloud leopard. I think it is (laughs) some kind of leopard. Um, <laughs> like Clyde leopard. It's a particular kind of leopard. What's it called? Uh, I could be getting this wrong. It doesn't matter. But the, he, he, what, he is was, it a Clyde? Is it like no? It's it a living? particular species of leopard. <laughs> okay. um, it doesn't matter. He was inspired by some news article, I think, where one of these leopards escaped from the zoo. So it's saying, you know, you need to be ready to fight a, a leopard. And talks a lot about how you got to channel your aggression and strength to, to positive ways. And developing your strength and your skills and your coordination, practice good grooming. It was a little bit reminiscent of Napoleon uh, Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, does sound like that. Bull skills, <laughs> non-check skills, yeah, unicorn wrangling skills. Like yeah. James they actually, you know, our previous guest, Frost, the martial artist guy, James Lindsay has been prone to martial arts fantasism. Like, you know, he was always into the side of martial arts, which is a bit fanciful and, and, you know, death touches and all that kind of stuff. So this is on brand. This is, it's kind of interesting. It's just like him repackaging his previous interests into his new framework. So, but that's kind of new for him. He's sort of maybe looking to get into the self-help young men, how to grow up to be a real boy. Uh, Yeah. Well, I get the impression that like there are people doing what he does better than him now in the conservative like establishment, Chris Rufo and and most of the politicians have kind of like he had an impact, but his appearance on Dr. Phil <laughs> indicated like his overall value, I think, to the mm. conservative movement. So like, you know, Charlie Kirk and stuff can do his spiel better than him yeah. I, yeah. I think so yeah he needs an angle but i feel like this is a losing proposition for him to try to encroach on jordan peterson's territory because well unless jordan peterson kills over and dies from eating too much meat or something i mean jordan peterson does it so much better than him his delivery is is weak frankly and jordan peterson's delivery is is very good so i don't see him stealing i don't see him taking down the big man anytime no, soon. but all he needs is to carve out a little sycophantic niche mm. so there's plenty of space for them to frolic around in the walled gardens. And, you know, as long as he's feeding a polemic audience, that mm. they'll do it. I mean, we just saw Dave Rubin. We just looked at Dave Rubin's content. <laughs> you're right. Which you're is right. Objectively <laughs> bad. And he has a large audience. So, you know. That's true. You don't need to be very good at this to make a living. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But today, Matt, we're not decoding a guru that'll be for next time today we are talking to a wise person (laughs) oh ah on the and also the mention of wise wisdom also should say that matt and i took part in a debate about kind of the value of wisdom and the value of criticism, as we mentioned last time with John Vervaki and Christopher Mastro Pietro, organized by Peter Lindbergh at the the store. So mm-hmm. we mentioned that before. If anyone's interested in how that went, you can go see it. It's up on the YouTube. So you can see us put our arguments for the value of criticism and whatnot to the team team wisdom. We were we were dubbed team 
criticism streams <laughs> up. And uh, yeah, and it was fun. So I encourage everyone. Any any thoughts for you, Matt, about that event? Uh, not really. No, I guess it was all very amicable and fine. And why wouldn't it be? We come from different places, and we're delightful we, we people. Th- we're scams. That's-, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And we 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 said what we thought. They said what what they thought. Um, maybe some communication was established. That's fine. Yeah. So I I I just have one little substantive point to make here. Matt. I'm just I'm just like pinning it in at the at the end of our our lengthy introduction segment there's this thing where people talk about how people online are willing to be more critical than they are in person right to people's face still or or like sam harris often says you know if he went for dinner with someone he could have a much more reasonable conversation than he would have on twitter right and then there's definitely something to that but I, I just want to emphasize as well, especially this is on my mind after hearing the Lex Friedman and Sam Harris conversation, that there's a lot of talk about the kind of distorting effect of interacting with people online and you know this veil of hostility and anonymity. But is enough said about the distorting effect of face-to-face communication and interpersonal dynamics because it's definitely case if you speak to someone directly and you're not in you know some stage confrontation or whatever that you know social niceties in many occasions will make people be more friendly more nicer be kind of more circumspect in the way that they make points and that kind of thing but it it doesn't actually mean that that's like a truer representation of the person it's just like the reality of social niceties so i just I heard Sam and Lex talking about this and they were, you know, talking about the distortions of the online environment, which definitely exist. But they seem to be saying, you know, but if you sat and have dinner with someone, you would, you know, that would be better. And I was like, no, but that's its own distortion. Mm. Like I could sit and have dinner with lots of people who actually are, if you look at what they're promoting and stuff, that it it does deserve criticism and you Mm. probably should be harsher. So... Yeah. yeah, I just yeah. was mentioning that. It's not yeah. really into the Vervaki thing. We were the same. Matt and I are completely consistent. Online, <laughs> offline, just the same. But, you know, other people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is hard to be. It feels rude just when you're talking to someone face-to-face to say, look, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about or that I just fundamentally think that everything you're talking about is a waste of time, which I would have to do to when talking to some people. Um, and I think that IDW heterodox thing where, you know, we just need to have these face-to-face conversations and civility and politeness and, you know, our common humanity, all that stuff, that sounds very appealing to people that have ever interacted on social media because, <laughs> every, <laughs> because everyone who has is, is aware that there's definitely a problem there, right? In terms there's an of, elevated level of hostility and there's in-group yeah. and out-group dynamics that are toxic. Yeah. They're right That's, about that. They're right about that. The immediate assumptions of bad faith, et cetera, et cetera. But I agree with you, Chris, that it's the pendulum swinging <laughs> too far the other way, which can be a problem too. So you and yeah. I are advocates for robust airings of grievances. That's uh, right. You could do that in a friendly way, maybe. Enter the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Fight your corner. <laughs> Jump cross hook. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's not what we are doing today because we're having an enjoyable conversation, not a confrontational conversation with no. Travis View, 
or at least the stage name, <laughs> Persona, Travis Fury, um, from QAnon Anonymous, somebody who has a lot of expertise around the subject of QAnon, but, you know, conspiratorial networks in, in general and and the whole online phenomenon, all, all the online communities. So, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I was very happy to meet so-called Travis View because I was surprised and pleased to find out that he he looks and talks like a like a young handsome Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. I, I really appreciated that about him. So um, yeah. yeah, the the audio listeners can't see, but the lighting that was on the video was was suitable. It it looked like Travis was in like you know his bunker, kind of decoding the. The QAnon people and, and sending out his last broadcast. <laughs> you, just, you, you described him as someone you would want on your team in case of a zombie outbreak. He seemed like yeah. someone that could handle himself, be reliable, wouldn't panic. Um, no. Knows how to handle a shotgun. <laughs> I think that he already knows it's going to shit. So he's like, he's prepared and he's accepted it. So he's, he's, he's just get. we're not saying that Travis is a prepper. That's not what we're saying. But if he were to prep, he gives the impression that he would be good at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. That's right. So yeah, that's, so that's an interesting introduction for Travis, but we'll now (laughs) hand over to ourselves in the past to, to speak to Travis directly. Yep. That's where you get Travis. Okay, Matt. So we have with us today Travis View, who is probably familiar to a bunch of our listeners from the QAnon Anonymous podcast covering, like the name suggests, <laughs> QAnon and adjacent communities and worlds. So Travis, I've I've been a a big fan of the QAnon Anonymous podcast for quite a while, but um, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Christopher. And Matt, I think you're aware with a less obsessive <laughs> tendency to listen to podcasts than me of the the kind of work of Travis. We had Annie Kelly on previously covering her podcast on vaccines, but she's also a UK correspondent for QAnon Anonymous Yes. No, I remember. I'm not that old yet, Chris. My, I, I know what's going on. You don't need to fill me in. I, <laughs> I'm I, just prompting you. <laughs> I, I enjoy QAnon Anonymous as well, just not as frequently as you. I dip in. So, Travis, we probably don't need to spend that much time on like fairly basic things, but just in case, just in case there's some innocent soul who luckily has avoided the topic until... Can you give the, the nutshell summary about... QAnon and and maybe where it has gone but since you've been following obviously that would take a very long time to do it justice but I mean the, the sure. broad strokes sure the broad strokes you know I think that I think that you know uh, QAnon managed to get uh, pretty world famous after January 6th um, but uh, but for for those who have managed to escape it the basic premise is that um, well QAnon is both a um, elaborate conspiracy theory and an extremist movement and it's based on this idea that Trump was secretly battling a cabal of pedophiles with the help of high level military intelligence officials and this of course included uh, you know Hillary and George Soros and all the t- typical conspiracist uh, villains. 
And um, but uh, they believe that uh, that Trump wasn't doing it alone. They thought that uh, they were getting help um, through these messages that were posted on 4chan uh, and then later 8chan and 8ku, these uh, image boards. And the, these messages, they were, you know, sometimes they were very strange and cryptic, and sometimes they were, you know, just rallying cries. They're just patriotic messages, or they were sort of like, you know, um, talking about how brilliant Trump is or something like that. But QAnon followers, they believe that by decoding these Q drops, and they, that's what they call the individual posts, by decoding the Q drops, now there are over 4,000 of them, that they would be able to understand what's going on in this epic battle of good versus evil, which, of course, Trump and the military intelligence officials were destined to win. That is the basic premise. One question that that brings up um, is, given you know Trump, unwillingly went out of the White House and, you know, there's been a couple of years of the Biden presidency and there are other figures kind of moving around in the conservative space. Does a lot of the kind of QAnon stuff still revolve around Trump or has it kind of expanded out of his orbit to encompass, you know, other political figures and that kind of thing? No, I mean the the QAnon figures who who remain are still pretty all in on Trump. Now, now you know I think that they they eventually noticed that um, Trump wasn't in the White House and some other guy was, which kind of like you know you think would like throw a wrench in their plan. Uh, and they they wound up uh, resolving their cognitive dissonance in a lot of creative ways. You know they claimed that they claimed, for example, that. Um, that uh, this that actually Trump was the true president, and then all the sort of the film of Biden being in the Oval Office was actually filmed in Hollywood. Um, and they, you know, they claim they came up with this elaborate theory. There's this QAnon follower named Patel Patriot who came up with this theory of devolution, which basically uh, was premised on the idea that uh, actually uh, Biden was kind of like a puppet of Trump, but Trump was ultimately still in charge. Uh, so they 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 resolve their cognitive distance in a lot of a lot of ways like that. Uh, others sort of like um, believe that well, you know, they had to allow Biden to steal the White House this one time because this is all part of the plan. But of course, Trump is supposed to take it back and then finish uh, finish what he started in his first term. Mm-hmm. So, Travis, you guys focus on really the pointy end of the conspiratorial and cray-cray spectrum with QAnon Anonymous. And I think QAnon, yeah, it's got that territory staked out pretty well. From your little description before, it, it struck me how that there are many more moderate, I would guess you would say, versions of that lurid conspiracy that are maybe more acceptable in more slightly more normy communities online i'm talking about stuff like there being some kind of deep state there being some kind of institutional capture you know what i'm talking about i'm just wondering how do you see the extreme stuff feeding into maybe more acceptable stuff yeah yeah you know yeah that's a good point i mean like all the sort of the conspiracy theories that um that came from QAnon, you know they all have precedent like the the belief that um you know there there was a claim for example that um hillary clinton was somehow responsible for the death of 
JFK Jr. in um, 1999 in that plane crash. And she also killed, you know, uh, Seth Rich. This is a this is tragic story of the young man who was falsely accused of like hacking and leaking the DNC, when of course it was really, really a, a Russian operation that was uh, leaked to WikiLeaks. Um, and this, this, the precedent for that is basically the Clinton body count conspiracy theory, which claimed that uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, as part of their rise to the political top, were kind of like killing people left and right. Now it sounds it sounds crazy, but yeah, sort of like there that, that was kind of the moderate version that you know Bill and Hillary Clinton are these gangsters who like you are willing to hire hitmen or maybe kill people themselves. It was taken to a new extreme in QAnon, um, you know, and the belief in a belief in a like a deep state, you know, this uh, this you know this concept um, has existed, you know, since the um, you know since the you know the rise of the FBI, the CIA, you know, there's you know there's some reality to it. The belief, the idea that people like um, Hoover um, had more power than a lot of real politicians, you know, FBI director who was able to um, you know. Uh, make their way because there was this calcified power structure inside the federal government. And um, of course it was taken to this whole level, whole level of extreme that, that it was not just, it was not just, you know, uh, institutional knowledge, or like I said, a calcified power structure within the federal government, but rather it was this um, entity within the federal government that was captured by the cabal and was doing the bidding of the worldwide pedophile ring. So it's uh it's always a lot more dramatic um, in the in the QAnon version than in the, in the uh, sort of the precedence it took from. I wonder, Travis. We've grappled with this a little bit in the kind of figures we cover, and we talk about this emergent niche for secular gurus, kind of like your your Jordan Peterson or your Weinstein brothers, right? In the mm-hmm. the kind of modern era, but. The more that we look at the topic, although there's aspects which are like unique to the you know digital media ecosystem and all that, there's a lot which is in line with historical precedents. And you know when you look, go back and look, you you tend to start seeing a whole bunch of figures that you know you can actually draw not that greatly stretched parallels to figures like Shemans and this kind of thing, like in in history. And I I wonder. With the kind of stuff you're covering, QAnon, in some respects, seems like a very modern conspiracy theory. It's it's very online and involves, you know, online communities. And I know there's versions that aren't down to earth, but it, it's politicians, right? It's not space aliens and, and lizards. So yeah. I'm curious about, like, how far you see it as distinctive, like a distinctive contemporary movement uh, versus something which is just like a new form of the conspiracism which will always exist have has always existed and we're we're doomed to endlessly float about in yeah you know um yeah i think i think there were um a couple of unique things about about the way that uh this particular form of conspiracism operated uh, number one is that the way it was gamified is participatory. A lot of people compare it to you know alternate reality games or ARGs, and, and it's not merely that you 
receive, you know, the wisdom from the guru, the person who knows better than you, um, and then you sort of absorb that knowledge in sort of clear sentences or even like semi-mystical sentences. But these messages were extremely cryptic, and they led to multiple divergent, sometimes contradictory interpretations from the people who who learned the Q drops. And this uh, this gave it a very addicting quality because you were a because the people who were participated in the um, in the activity, you know, they weren't like they were they were just learning things. They were like it was like solving a puzzle and trying to like you know Google search and trying to figure out what exactly these weird Q drops meant. Um, and so you know the, the sort of like the it, it being unclear is uh, is always an interesting part of it. The other, the other thing that's sort of like um, I think distinct from distinct about QAnon that makes it a different from a lot of other classic conspiracism is this idea of this super competent hero who's going to take on the super competent villain. Because in you know classic conspiracism, they always believe in this this basically this hyper powerful force who's really pulling the strings. And you know in you know it, if you go back to uh, you know the um, you know the post. Um, French Revolution, there was the Illuminati and the Freemasons who are really running things and they were really super powerful. Of course, you know, like you said, there could be lizards of the deep state, but there's there's some sort of hyper-competent um, enemy who is so, you know, brilliant and smart, they can do something like fake a moon landing and leave scant evidence of a fakery behind. Yep. But and this is very kind of despairing worldview because it's because um, it is how 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 is it that you as a regular person can, can fight against someone who is like so powerful and brilliant as that? But you know, QAnon says that well, you have basically a friend in the in the military intelligence or the federal government. You have you have a hyper competent hero who can best the hyper competent villain. That I think creates a little bit more exciting conflict because all of a sudden there's this hope that the um, that the evil sort of like um, uh, all powerful entity that really pulls the strings can be defeated and thwarted and everyone can sort of see that your conspiracy theories were all true and all your friends and family can rush to you and say you're right you're right you know so there's a lot more so it's not there's a lot of hope in in QAnon because of that yeah that's very interesting Travis. I was casting my mind back to the full catalogue of conspiracy theories I'm aware of, and most of them don't feature that hyper-competent secret hero figure like Batman that is in there um, who's going to put an end to this um, malevolent force. Yeah, I guess the other thing – well, I've forgotten the other thing. Chris, do you <laughs> I've got, I've yeah. added two things, but the second one's gone. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, he said he's not old, Travis, uh, <laughs> but the evidence is stacking <laughs> up in, in the other column. But that whole thing about people baking the cue drops or playing uh, their own part, right, in the, the QAnon conspiracy or the movement, that's interesting because we've looked at in in the gurus we covered, there's often these kind of um, members of the community who emerge, who often start out as like quite strong defenders of whoever their like their preferred guru is. You know, they they'll make Twitter threads defending them or that kind of thing. But over time, they often grow their own sub audiences and uh, can become like kind of minor gurus of their own you know create their own sub stack and and so on and it's been interesting watching that because it it creates that weird feedback mechanism 
where there's incentives to constantly be interpreting content on your own and trying to grow a community. So is is that the same kind of dynamic that you're talking about? Like people creating their own minor followings, not not just the hyper successful people. Oh yeah. I mean, that's that's a, actually a huge part of like how QAnon operated because you know, Q would release these cryptic Q drops and there would be um, you know, some very strange, sometimes very strange, sometimes they're straightforward, but a lot of them very strange and open to interpretation. And that left a lot of like, I guess, lay people kind of like confused and how to make sense of like what the heck they're talking about. And so as a consequence, there emerged there with you know these Q drop decoders. Sometimes they're called bakers, and uh, they would set up their you know their YouTube channel or their uh, you know their their Twitter account, and they would whenever there was a new Q drop, they would you know rush to rush to it, and they would say, oh, okay, this is what this line means, and this is what this line means, and they as a consequence of like trying to decipher and uh, clarify what they believe that the Q drops meant, they wound up, you know, developing huge followings. Um, you know, one of them was called uh, praying medic is, is a guy who lives in Arizona. His real name is David Hayes, who got a pretty big following because he was very talented at, um, at um, basically trying to cl- clarify and make sense of the Q drops and trying to teach people what, what it was, uh, what they were saying. And it really was kind of like a priestly class of QAnon because it was this idea that, you know, they were the, the material, the text itself was so strange that, um, that it, in, in order to make sense of it, it helped if you had someone who, uh, who was like deep into it, who could help uh, make, sense, make sense of it for you. Yeah, you guys actually just spoke to the second thing that I was failing to remember, <laughs> which is that, that crowdsource participatory and constructed version of it and i guess all conspiracy theories tend to be like that like it's a little bit different from a religious ideology which you know comes from a top down it 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 tends to be tends to grow organically but with QAnon, it's it's much more forward isn't it i guess it's it is like they're examining the entrails (laughs) the high tree high priests and coming up with their interpretations of it very interesting um how much in terms of the psychological motivations of the people that are attracted to it do you think is it the same as with all other conspiracies, like the same pattern of psychological drivers, because it's obviously a big political movement, as you said as well. Yeah, you know, um, the thing is, is that is that yeah, I think that um, besides sort of the, um, I guess, like the classic reasons people were motivated to um, get into conspiracism, you know, the 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 quest for esoteric knowledge and like you know the sense of community and um, uh, even like the the, the social aspect or even like, you know, the hope that, you know, the trying to make sense of their lives if they're not very happy with where their lives are, that kind of thing. Um, I was going to say, oh yeah, well, w- what really motivated, I think a lot of people to get into QAnon specifically was the fact that I was uh, many months into the Trump administration. It didn't feel like many of Trump's um, promises were being kept, you know, tr- Trump, Trump, a promise, for example, that he would drain the swamp and lock Hillary up. He was very clear on these points during the campaign, and um, and his his followers responded very positively. But uh, it got to be you know it got to be October, November, 
in uh, in uh, 2017, and it seemed, and then all of a sudden, this there's this Mueller investigation that was was starting to ramp up, and like it seemed like um, you know Michael Flynn had to resign, and he was he was in some legal trouble, and it didn't seem like things were going the right way. But they were so certain that you know because they got their they got their man in the White House, that they got you know this outsider uh, to the Washington you know um, circle inside you know that uh everything would be fixed and um and then uh basically along came q when they said that no 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 there's a secret plan to make everything you want to have happen happen hillary is going to be locked up and we're going to expose all the evil doings of the deep state and the, the swamp will be drained but it's going to take time because there's a secret battle so you got to trust uh, military intelligence that they know what they're doing their moves and counter moves behind the scenes that you won't see in the mainstream media and so for people who are otherwise perhaps feeling a little uncomfortable with how the Trump administration was shaping up compared to Trump's promises, that was very reassuring. That's a really useful framing of it because the, the way you describe it, it sounds like an awful lot like resolving cognitive dissonance, right? No, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I've relied upon uh, sort of uh, Festinger's work a lot in trying to make <laughs> sense of why the QAnon community does what they do. Yeah, I, you know, and like a specific example of that cognitive dissonance is with you know revered strongman leaders. Like the classic trope is, uh, you know, it's never the czar's fault; it's always got bad advisors, right? So there's these shadowy cabals of alphabet soup uh, agencies and so on are the other reasons for um, why things aren't getting better, the things aren't going as promised. So yeah, that fits quite nicely. I think, Travis, as well, like one of the things that you guys do on the podcast is that you you go to various events, right? You inflict <laughs> upon yourself the lived experience of, of being at QAnon events or uh, various other um, conspiracy-themed events. And it, it, it I think for me and Matt probably makes a nice change in the way like listeners enjoy us listening to Scott Adams or the Weinsteins. Like I enjoy listening to you guys suffer through the, um, the, the various conspiracy communities. But I, I want to ask you some stuff about the investigations and the way you guys do it. But your most recent one on the conscious life expo, um, the, so that, that crossover, between the kind of traditional, maybe more like left-leaning alternative medicine and, you know, crystal healing spiritual, Marianne Wil Williamson kind of spirituality, and then now encompasses the QAnon stuff and also like maybe more <laughs> components of like militia type beliefs, Alex Jones type stuff from before. Mm. And I know... In in that case, you know, there's the podcast Conspirituality, which has dealt with that. But I'm curious, from your experience, uh, those worlds, how much are they merging together? Or is it still quite possible to distinguish the, you know, that, no, these are the, the alternative health, like left-leaning hippie types, and, and these are the, you know, red-pilled conspiracy theorists? Yeah, you know, you know, the the way I always talk about it is that um kind of like, you know, new age thinking or esoteric 
um, thinking and conspiracism are, are kind of related in that they're both kinds of like stigmatized knowledge. Um, but but um, they're both both ways of seeing the world that's sort of like distinct from orthodox thinking about like history or uh, science or politics. Um, but but they've always been kind of on easy bedfellows, partly because new age thinking is, you know, is optimistic. You know, is, if you believe, if you're kind of a new age, you know, um, thinker, then you believe that we can enter into this new, more glorious age and we, we can ascend and become more enlightened and become more together, become more peaceful. It's very nice. But conspiracism is very, on the other hand, is, is very pessimistic. It's very despairing. It's a belief that, you know, we're being controlled by lizard people who are unimaginably more powerful than, than, um, than than we are, or so, or a secret cabal, or some sort of Illuminati who far away, you know, control the entire world. It's a bummer, but um, but but the thing is that they, I mean, they so they managed to, but they slowly, I think, converged, and I think they really did so in a big way, you know, as a consequence of the pandemic. Um, um, mm. It's like there there was a, I think, a big sort of like a, um, I mean blending between new age um you know thinking and conspiracy thinking or even like you know a militant anti-government thinking um they all those sorts of things combined as a consequence of the number one the uncertainty that came with the fact that we're living through a pandemic and also as a consequence of a lot of the government actions you know the the uh, sort of lockdowns regulations these sorts of things that people were very uneasy with so yeah, that's that's what I think we we really saw that um, you know they they were they there was a lot of blending before then, but I think that I think that the pandemic really uh, made the marriage official. The academic literature on complementary alternative medicine and that new age worldview that tends to underlie it. I mean, it has has one other little cognitive aspect in common with conspiracies like QAnon, which is that it has so much cognitive complexity and so much participation in it. And and that's an attractive feature in itself, of course. It's just, you know, an endless exciting mystery for you to explore and participate in, uh, as opposed to conventional medicine where you just get given some drugs or something like that. Now the the secret bit of that puzzle of course is 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 vaccines and the correlation between anti-vax and vaccine skepticism and woo health is really well established very strong and and of course anti-vax in particular has always had really strong conspiratorial and anti-government sort of libertarian style ideas associated with it so yeah it makes sense i'm curious travis from the way that you approach these communities, and I would encourage anybody that hasn't listened to listen to the some of the episodes where you do investigations, because there's a organic nature to it, and and the honest thing about you know the the various insecurities and whatnot, you know, when you're doing like not not undercover work, but like not openly trying to announce yourself to the the people there, and I I was kind of curious, like. How do you see yourself and like the podcast that you do? Do you regard it as like a documentarian kind of thing or anti-QAnon activism or like, you know, I don't know, anthropology, ethnography? I'm curious, like they, they, they have some thoughts about you, the QAnon community, but how do you see yourself uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I really see it more, more than anything else as a way to, um, 
to satisfy my curiosity about it and try and learn about it as much as much as I can, um, more than anything else, if I'm if I'm being honest. So I guess I guess I do take I guess kind of an academic approach. Uh, but re- what really got me into it was, I guess, uh, bafflement that uh, that uh, this this weird online movement was becoming so popular. And um, you know, I had, I mean, I had some sort of like uh, experience in exploring fringe communities when, uh, I guess, you know, years ago in college, I became very interested in like young Earth creationism. These people who believe that the world is the six to ten thousand years old, and and like you know, all of geology and biology is basically a lie, and there's some sort of alternate science that can help you understand the true nature of the natural world. Um, but yeah, I started realizing that this movement as strange as it is becoming started becoming popular so i i really just wanted to like see see why do these pe- try to figure out why do these people believe these things and um where do they gather and how do they acquire these beliefs and what are their lives like and uh you know and uh where like what uh you know what i guess you know was the precedence for these kinds of beliefs and like where's the other element it's like where the hell is this going you know because you know i know mm-hmm. for a fact that their um you know their promised storm of mass arrest is not going to happen so uh you know we we have to figure out what exactly is going to happen when um when they either accept or don't that that that's just not going to be reality so that's i mean that's really what like motivates me i mean i don't see myself um you know as an activist, um, as, as much as I am trying to, you know, satisfy my own curiosity and sort of like teach other people what I learn as I go along the way. Well, I might just say that I'd like those motivations for what it's worth. I mean, it's very similar to, to me and Chris in that it's just interesting why people believe the things they do. And uh, for in our case, why people find certain kinds of things convincing when, when to yourself, you go, this is just how on earth could people find this convincing? And it becomes more of a fascinating puzzle that one wants to solve. And as a side effect, hopefully, I suppose we'd like to maybe encourage a little bit of critical thinking and skepticism and, you know, good things like that. But it, it's it's almost a, a side effect. I mean, what, what are the standard things that um, someone new to this stuff who's looking at a young earth creationist or a QAnon person or a flat earther uh, is, oh, these people must be stupid. How stupid are they? And, of course, they're not, are they? Yeah, you know that's that's the that's the one thing I always say is that is that it's, it's very um, yeah. If you really think that people believe in QAnon because they are stupid, then you're just not going to understand them or their beliefs. Because I've seen you know I've seen people um, who are you know actually you know you know quite smart in a lot of ways. Actually, you know, good writers. You know, they can ha- they can hold down good jobs, um, and they you know they spend hours um, you know, doing research decoding and sort of like making connections between different cue drops activity that requires a great deal of cognitive horsepower um, but just leads them to absurd conclusions <laughs> so I think that you know the I guess the you know the cognitive flaw that leads them to these nonsense beliefs um, isn't a lack of intelligence it's usually something else it's usually some sort of um, epistemic framework that's unconventional or or perhaps as some sort of um, emotional kind of um, draw that uh, that they get out of it that's uh, that's more satisfying than, like I said, orthodox ways of thinking about politics and uh, science and history. One of the things that we frequently encounter is this kind of prioritizing of people's 
interpersonal relationship. Some of the guru people that we cover, especially if people have ever met them, but even just through podcasts or whatever, they emphasize that, you know, no, these they, people seem nice and they mean well. And, you know, they're, uh, well or not, it's actually accurate. Like they, they pr- say, you know, oh, they're humble, you know, and this kind of thing. So like Jordan Peterson throwing out very strategic disclaimers are are often referred to by people who, you know, have found what he told them helpful in some way, right? Like they they don't focus on his climate change denial or whatever the latest thing he's waffling about on on Twitter. And Matt and I have been at pains to kind of emphasize that interpersonally that you shouldn't assume that like people who hold ideologies that are harmful will be interpersonally unpleasant people, right? Like if it's a neo-Nazi, maybe <laughs> it's, yeah. it, but, but even then, you know, neo-Nazis still have to have barbecues and, and like go to the supermarket. So I, I feel like there's a mistaken impression that, you know, anybody that's into it will just constantly be unhinged and unable to operate in in the actual world and i get the impression that there are some people like that but like the majority of the people you it's not like you see someone walking down the street and you're like oh that guy's in the queue you know uh, unless they're wearing some flamboyant headdress or that kind of thing yeah you know it's funny it's like i often talk a lot about um how you know, QAnon, I think, it does technically meet the definition of an extremist movement, as is defined by J.M. Berger, who wrote, the, wrote this book called Extremism. Um, but it's really, I, I think, um, and I really think it's generally uh, the the least um, sort of like dangerous kind of extremism. Now, now I want to be clear: like QAnon has caused. Uh, horrible damage. It's an a- alienated families. There was one case in which a QAnon uh, follower, surfer who lived in you know Southern California, like uh, killed his children. There's been kidnappings. There's been uh, there's been murders. So there actually has been QAnon motivated violence. Of course, there's also been um, you know there's QAnon motivated violence in the case of the January 6th insurrection. So I don't want I don't want to seem like I'm downplaying it. But compared to a lot of other extremist movements, I don't I don't think it's quite as dangerous. And I, I know this because I've been to, like I said, I've been to a lot of, a lot of uh, QAnon um, uh, events, <laughs> like QAnon conventions, in which I am recognized by uh, by the organizers. But despite that, I've never really felt threatened. You know, and it's just that's you know so that's. I, that's not the case if you are, for example, a reporter on, let's say, white supremacists. You know, if you are, if you are, if you're an extremist who covers white nationalists, and you go to a white nationalist rally, and the organizers spot you, uh, you might be in danger. But um, that that just wasn't my experience. Um, I, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they recognized me and they shook my hand. But. Um, yeah, it is is very interesting, and I think the reason for that um, is that generally QAnon followers are people who really want to see violence done, in the sense that they want to, you know, they often fantasize about these mass executions or Hillary, you know, um, being hanged at Gitmo and these kinds of things. Uh, but they don't want to do the violence themselves. They always fantasize about the military or the justice system taking care of it for them. 
uh, they don't that they don't want because they because they believe that there's a plan to basically do the do the violence that they want to uh, have done in order to fix society, but through these official channels. You know, white nationalists generally don't believe that. They don't believe that you know, the justice system or the military are going to fix things for them. They think that they need to pick up a gun and make the world uh, as they want to see it for for themselves. I have a just a. I'm channeling someone else. I, I believe you've talked to them, Travis, but uh, Aaron Rabinowitz from Embrace the Void is often noting there is an element to the QAnon lore that talks about elites feasting on the blood of young children, right? The kind of pedophile networks. And Aaron often appeals to highlight the connection to, you know, the blood libel and the, the kind of anti-Semitic conspiracies of, of old. So I'm, I'm curious to what extent you would regard that kind of anti-Semitic strain as like a key feature of QAnon, or is it more that it's just like a parallel track that, that some people can hop onto? You know, I, I think that I think generally, um, you know, QAnon is is, is basically is um, anti-Semitic as you want it to be. <laughs> I think that if you are someone <laughs> who is perhaps um, a little uncomfortable with, with anti-Semitism, I think QAnon actually gives you enough plausible de- deniability to um, to convince yourself that that's not a component of it. But if you are, you know, if you are a little bit uncomfortable with uh, with um, you know the Jews, then uh, you can be part of QAnon and sort of you can instantly recognize the uh, the canards that uh, are there, you know, key to QAnon. So, you know, of course, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, QAnon followers, they often, they often do like sometimes, they sometimes a, um, you know, um, do this kind of thing where they, you know, they say, no, no, no. It's like, obviously, obviously, you know, there are, we, we don't hate Jews. There are some bad Jews, you know, there's, you know, there's Epstein and they're saying, you know, there's George Soros, but, um, but, but uh, those are the bad Jews, but like Jewish people generally are okay. You know, they, they try to try to convince themselves that, uh, that, uh, you know, the kind of like uh, anti-Semitic subtext isn't um, as present as it actually is. Yeah. So, I guess on that note a little bit about these sort of dark forces in American society, as you can hear from our accents, we're not American. Um, no, no, don't, you don't. might not have picked up on that. It's subtle. There's it's subtle. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I got a little, little something. Well, strange. I thought you made little the south or something. Yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Very small town in the south. Um, so, I mean, we on, on our show and our public stuff, we say we, we generally advise against people catastrophizing and you know because it's easy to get the impression if you're on places like twitter that the world is going to hell in a handbasket too sweet and the united states in particular in terms of the political landscape and the the cultural divisions etc there are certainly some people who feel that um the country is on the precipice of of very bad things and then but you can also make the argument that yes it's it's a bit of a mess but it's always been a mess everything is basically fine if you're focusing on the fringes so this is kind of a more casual question rather than a q anon type question but like what's what's your feeling as an american like is there a serious emergency happening sort of politically or is it kind of just the world spinning as usual you know that's a that's a that's a that's that's actually not an easy question to answer. You know, there's there's a professor of uh, political science who really studies conspiracy theories. His name is uh, Joseph Usinski, 
He wrote a couple great books like uh, Conspiracy Theories and the People Believe Them. And he he does he did a lot of like interesting studies basically about um about like how prevalent conspiracism is in society and how how he did this is that basically he take a look took a look at um uh, basically letters to the editor in newspapers going back all the way to like 1880 and he checked how often uh conspiracy theories appeared in those letters reasoning that like the more popular conspiracy theories were the more often they would appear and so using this methodology he sort of like tracked um sort of the rate of conspiracism and um and what he found was that, like, there there are times when uh, conspiracism becomes more popular. For example, it spiked in popularity after the death of uh, JFK, uh, uh, unsurprisingly, after the assassination. Uh, but generally, like, over the course of like the 20th century and even before, the rate of the popularity of conspiracy theories is very, very steady. Um, we always try to convince ourselves that we live in an especially conspiracist age. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, I often point out that the very first third party in the in the United States, all the way back in the 1820s and the 1830s, was called the Anti-Masonic Party, and it was dedicated to the proposition that the you know that the uh, Masonic lodges in thrall of the Illuminati were basically plotting to um, upend the United States. And they wound up, um, it was a totally conspiracist party, and they did pretty well. They wound up actually uh, controlling about 10% of the House of Representatives at their peak. They had a few, uh, they had a few uh, governorships. So, um, so we're, I don't think we're quite at the point where, you know, there are QAnon followers who are governors of states. Um, but, um, you know, that's, but there, there's some precedent for that. No, I, I I think there are some strange things happening. Again, I point to January 6th, which is like a, a, is certainly an unprecedented event, which was driven by exper- by conspiracism. But I think that they kind of like what, what allowed that to happen was the fact that we had an openly aggressively conspiracist president, and uh, that that kind of mm. like that kind of changed the dynamic a great deal. But um, I think that yeah, I think that generally. Um, you know, I'm I'm really interested in this in this idea that conspiracism is just part of the political landscape. It's just something that's just in the background, always there, affecting, sometimes feeding into mainstream politics, um, and um, as, is is not some sort of weird anomaly of the internet age. It's you know, it's changed as a consequence of uh, communications technology, as you know, as like you know, but um, but generally, it's just something that's just always there, and frankly, always will be. I'm very sympathetic to that point of view you articulated. There's there's a book uh, by a historian Joanne B. Freeman called "The Field of Blood: Violence in Congress and the Road to Civil War," and it it's covering you know Congress in the era just before the Civil War, and it's it's a it's one of those things that's a good reminder that like things were bad in, in previous eras, especially like, you know, in, uh, in that case, in, in American politics, um, and that it's easy, I think, in a way to get caught up in your lifetime, what's changed. So like Matt and I, like you, Travis, I, I think as well, have had like a longstanding interest in conspiracism and mm-hmm. we've observed in our lifetime, it move from the fringes to the U S presidency to like, a in the COVID era, like a very strong cultural force. But I think when you take a longer perspective, like you're talking about, or or like uh, Annie did in the 
you know, the vaccine documentary series she produced, you see that it, ne- it, it just comes in waves and there are moments in time where it's a much stronger force and then it, it kind of recedes. So I think when you were born, like people that are, have lived through other waves of conspiracism, like the JFK assassination or whatever, maybe it doesn't strike as, as dramatically different. That's it. That's, that's one of the things that I think about to try and keep myself seeing <laughs> about the, the current moment. Though, though when I find out that QAnon is quite popular in Japan, I'm, I'm sometimes find it hard to <laughs> accept that level of sanguine uh, response. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I do, I do, I do want to like one of the things I never really wanted to do when I was doing the podcast was being a be a fear monger. Um, I, I wanted to be you know as honest and straightforward as I could about the dangers associated with an extremist movement. And whenever there was like you know violence associated with the movement, you know, one of the very first instances all, happened all the, all the way back in June of 2018, when a man um, basically had an armed standoff on the Hoover Dam Bridge uh, because he thought there was going to be this Inspector General's report, which would basically reveal all the deep state crimes that he wanted to uh, release. So he was, you know, there's lots of like, you know, I want to be want to be honest about the dangers associated with like this extremist movement. But I didn't want to like you know I didn't want to you know say like it's like this is the you know the greatest threat the country has ever faced and you know that kind of stuff because then you're no better than Alex Jones. Yeah, I and mean, we often occasionally get the question of like, oh, so what will happen with all, when all the gurus you, you the, like you've covered them all? That's like no, that's one that's never going to happen. But two, if it did happen, it would be a nice outcome. Like if suddenly there weren't. like kind of manipulative gurus Uh, something bad would probably have had to happen for that to occur but if it just was able to happen it wouldn't be like matt and i were deeply upset that we no longer have people to cover (laughs) and i guess you guys (laughs) have the the same vibe that like uh, you're not you're not looking forward to the next version of like q that emerges but it's a safe bet that there's going to be other versions and variations of this kind of movement. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, yeah, if we get to a point where somehow, uh, conspiracism is all but eliminated in American discourse and everyone sort of approaches their politics through rational policy and like, you know, uh, respectful civil discourse, um, that uh, that of course would be unprecedented, uh, but uh, we, we might have to, we might have to pivot the podcast. But I don't have much hope that that's actually going to happen. I guess you know the your your podcast in a way, well not in a way is is kind of an ensemble cast, right? You you have different the different hosts have different interests, different specialities, and as a result, I think. Partly, you guys are able to feed off each other's interests and, you know, uh, like people take the lead on different kinds of stories. But I I was curious because, you know, in, in our case, we sometimes cover relatively wholesome figures like Carl Sagan or this Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello. We look at people that are, you know, like Gwyneth Paltrow, you, you might have criticisms, but she's she's not exactly as as terrible as Scott Adams or that kind of thing. So in your case, though, it's it's rare that you're covering something, you know, relatively 
wholesome or that has, you know, a, a kind of positive, empowering element to it. So I'm just curious, Travis, like you cover this day in, day out, week in, week out for years now. So how do you and your fellow co-hosts cope aside from like copious amounts of drugs and alcohol? Sure. Yeah. I actually, I got into uh, hiking and photography. I, uh, that's, I, I got a, um, so that's, that's what I do. Cause I, I, I've realized that it's the, it's the absolute opposite of what, what has turned into my day job. Cause like, I was, through, through QAnon Anonymous, you know, basically I, I spend a lot of time going online, looking for, uh, ugliness and absurdity. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> when I go, go hiking with a camera, then I'm out in the real physical world trying to look for beauty. And so uh, that 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 helps me a lot. And so yeah, I have uh, I have an Instagram. It's uh, it's a uh, Logan Strain Photography. Logan Strain is my real name. And so yeah, so I post my photos there. So that's an excellent policy, Travis. I'm the same. I've got some very wholesome pursuits. Chris, on the other hand, he was born in the darkness, and he's going to die <laughs> in the darkness. <laughs> that's, that's right. But I have well, you as well, but but I I'm I'm forced out of the darkness on occasion by my children going to play parks around Tokyo. So that 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 kind of counts as an excursion. But I don't get to do the wandering around nature and, and swimming with sharks as much as you do. So that's fair. Mm. That's fair. <laughs> I had a question, Travis, partly piggybacking on the point that you made about the followers, and I'm sure this is hard to quantify, but I'm a little bit curious about the general demographics of the people that are into Q, like whether it's associated with, you know, particular age range, particular ethnic groups, or whether it cuts across the the kind of alternative health area typically tends to be associated with people a bit better off and maybe in America at least like white the kind of stereotyped image is is you know the Gwyneth Paltrow type figure so <sighs> with QAnon is that the case is, like is there an association with working class middle class or does it transcend those kind of lines yeah you know it is it is really shocking um the way in which it, it transcends lines. I mean, there are there are people who are who are financially struggling, uh, but there are also I see people who are one of those popular sort of QAnon gurus. Is this guy named In the Matrix, and he was a former sales executive. You know, he's essentially retired and now. He's just basically does QAnon stuff. I mean, yeah, there there are more than a few instances of like you know li- you know literal millionaires who who get uh, who get who get red pilled. So I mean, it's it's really is I, I think that you know there's this um, I know there's this there's this thesis that um, <laughs> that uh, you know that like conspiracy theories are for losers in the sense that if you feel constrained, um, if you feel like you have no power, um, then you know conspiracy theories are a way to help you make sense of your powerlessness and uh, give a scapegoat for your powerlessness. But something about you know, QAnon, I guess, you know, I've noticed that it is something that transcends class. I might ask that question in a slightly different way, which is um, I was sort of comparing it mentally to the Flat Earth movement that I did. I, you know, I wasted a lot of time doing a deep dive on. And there's a lot of overlap with the Young Earth creationist movement. So you'd be familiar with the vibe. And like, for example, in that case, I, I noticed that a very large proportion of the Flat Earthers were 
young earth creationists, very hardcore Christians. And you know, that's a separate belief system, but it happened to be correlated with it in people for understandable reasons. That's not to say there wasn't a minority that were sort of completely different you know, they had different motivations. I think they were attract- They were like sort of basement-dwelling nerds who were just attracted to the sort of weirdness of it. Now, with QAnon, if you had to pick one thing, because, I mean, just looking from the outside, it seems to be correlated with, obviously, right-wing politics. It might be correlated with religiosity. It might be correlated well, – you've actually eliminated class, but I was thinking maybe education. I was wondering if, if you just had to – even though it's different from any of these other things, if, if you had to notice one correlate, could is the one that stands out yeah yeah if we i mean if we were to sort of like you know the exclude you know the um new age kind of esoteric theosophical kind of believers uh there were i mean it was you know i think heavily uh evangelical christians and a lot of the q a lot of the q drops they have bible verses uh they say they say god wins and they believe in you know there's going to be a great awakening and of course that that the great awakening is a name for a a a few periods of religious revivals in the United States because already has this connotation that you know it's going to bring more people to god so uh, yeah, so I think you know people who are deeply evangelical uh, Christians are already primed to believe in this you know this epic battle of good versus evil, and uh, a lot of the other things that uh, QAnon QAnon sort of lore is uh, trying to promote. I kind of half guessed you would nominate that because it does fit well with these other interesting belief systems that we see. I guess a follow-on, and this is not a dig at Americans. We're not above taking shots at Americans on this podcast, but this is—it would be the first time (laughs) we never do that. So, but (laughs) this is an honest question, which is—I mean, do you think that could be the sort of undercurrent, like a a cultural vulnerability, you might say, in America, because America is a bit more Christian, a bit more uh, what's the word, evangelical, than most other places in the weird. Uh, constellation of countries um, and there's obviously also that um, you know deep skepticism towards government do you reckon there's a bit of a cultural vulnerability there in america especially or is it just a coincidence that and america is a big country and dominates the infosphere anyway so we're always going to be more aware of stuff from america um, what do you reckon yeah of course i mean yeah i mean this is it's been long observed that there's, you know, there's a paranoid style uh, to to American politics, and I think this is uh, partly due to the natural, you know, skepticism of uh, of government institutions, and um, part partly due to, you know, the sort of the, you know, deep belief in sort of religious freedoms, the especially the fear that there's government's going to encroach on your religion or something terrible is going to happen. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, there's, I mean, yeah, obviously there's, this is partly why I'm, I think it's, it's very, I think it's very interesting about, um, you know, the subject matter. I think that there's something, there's something, you know, there are lots of things I think that America does uh, better than anywhere, uh, anywhere else. We make, you know, the most, most spectacular blockbuster films and we do conspiracy theories very well. And you build guns. No. <laughs> you, you, have, you have some of the best Tex-Mex in the entire world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those four things. <laughs> that's, the, that's it. <laughs> Nothing else. Just those four. <laughs> One thing I'm I'm also curious about in the figures that we cover, there's two things which are really prevalent and and like highly valued. 
not not explicitly, but it, it just keeps coming up in all the content that we look like uh, at um, that the people that become guru figures, you know, they have charisma, right? That intangible quality usually, but in in a lot of ways that manifests as a real skill with like verbal metaphor and and like verbal fluency, right? They're able to just kind of roll uh, for extended periods of time on on whatever topic they choose. And that's usually combined with like a deep, hard to fathom level of narcissism where they assume that whatever they believe is is correct and you know that it is important for people to hear about. And and we see these two features reappear. But when I look at a figure, for example, like Ron Watkins, right? The the thing that this is one of the people who is credibly uh, suggested to be behind at least some portion of the Q drops. And he doesn't strike me as someone with like verbal fluency, charisma. He might be narcissistic, but like much more of like a, a, a kind of odd nerdy guy. So I'm wondering how much he's an outlier and how far that's typical that the, the kind of influencer people um, do you see the same kind of characteristics emerge or is it different? No, you know, here's the thing is that, is that um, Ron Watkins, uh, assuming that, um, that he is in fact uh, the person who um, controlled Q when it was a quiet, when it was sort of a, when Q moved from 4chan to 8chan. And this is a, sort of, the, this is a theory that was promoted by the film uh, Q into the, or the docuseries Q into the storm by Colin Hoback. Um, he did most of his work from behind the computer. <laughs> so, um, you know, so the, in this case, the followers didn't even really know who he was. And, uh, he sort of like promoted these ideas through, you know, text in the Q drops. So he didn't have to rely upon his personal charisma so much. And, uh, we actually know that, uh, you know, when he, um, when Juan Rockets, he actually ran for Congress in a uh, district in Arizona here, and he came in dead last in that primary. He came in seven out of seven. So we saw that when he uh, you know, stepped out from behind the computer, he wasn't able to wow an audience so well. But you know, it's, it, I think it's different for the people who were, like I said, the decoders, the bakers, the people who were sort of became um, the influencers within the QAnon space. Like I, like, like, like I mentioned, um, that that guy named In the Matrix, whose real name is uh, Jeffrey Pedersen, um, he was a former sales executive, of course, which a job that requires a great deal of verbal fluency and charisma, and that naturally translated to his job as sort of like a podcaster and sort of QAnon promoter. He was able to do it pretty well. And I had a feeling that you know it, it would be a bad idea to take Ron Watkins as illustrative of anything, but Ron Watkins. But um, the so it, it, there there was another uh, there was another thing that I wanted to ask you, which I I'm not sure of myself. So in your coverage related to like COVID conspiracies and that, we see. A little bit of overlap with figures like, you know, Brett Weinstein um, and Robert Malone, Peter McCulloch, mm -hmm. right? They appear on Joe Rogan, but they're also clearly figures like at least uh, significant in anti-vaccine areas. And, you know, with Mickey Willis or Del Bigtree, that there's, a, there's kind of a crossover in the anti-vax world. But the people that we look at are more 
focused on figures like Elon Musk or Peter Thiel or um, you know the the Weinstein's Jordan Jordan Peterson. Uh, the intellectual dark web, in in some respects, at least some of the uh, <laughs> spheres that it tangented off to. And I, I'm curious, do you see connections with those figures and that those kind of communities, or is that just a separate tangent? Because I haven't, I just haven't noticed much talk about Elon Musk or Jordan Peterson in your content. Yeah, you know, funny, we, we actually did do a uh, Elon Musk episode years ago, um, before before he bought bought Twitter. Um, but uh, but I think like generally like those kinds of those kinds of gurus are yeah, I guess don't interest you, uh, interest me as much. I guess the only thing that you know these those kinds of people like I guess the intellectual dark web and QAnon have in common is like you know uh, disdain for you know the mainstream media and, and government and that 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 kind of thing. Um, but you know I think that you know it's uh, for you know it's you know I think that with conspiracism there's there's a lot less of a um, you know there's a lot less of a I guess a, a, of a self help kind of component. You know, um, a lot of these people are selling an idea to you know make yourself a better you know understand the world world in sort of an unorthodox way to make yourself a better person, you know, um, healthier, more fit, and you know, smarter, more clever, whatever, better relationships. Whereas that conspiracism, it's it's really more um, less about the self and like more political. If anything, it's more about like you know just being a little bit having a little bit better inside info about like how the world really works than the next person. I might make another comment disguised as a question here because I, th I think those similarities and differences uh, are really interesting between what you guys focus on and what we do because on one hand, there's a fair bit of overlap. There is the cultish component to QAnon. It's certainly very much anti-establishment. There is a sense of grievance and there is this, we call it the Cassandra complex, but it's that, you know, that, that sense of imminent danger, that there's things are building to a, to a, to a climax and um, um, we have to prepare for it. And obviously the conspiracies um, that, um, and QAnon is just the archetypal example of it. We also see it in all of our gurus. But, you know, from what you've been talking about, it's really clear to me that this is a purely crowdsourced thing. Whether or not we eventually find out who Q is, it's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? Because from what you said, it sounds like it's it, it's very much a crowdsourced phenomena. There may be individual people that rise to prominence and manage to set themselves up as a bit of a high priest, but it's a crowdsourced phenomena. Am I drawing that distinction correctly, do you think? Yeah, there are lots of like the QAnon followers, they call themselves Anons and the, a lot of them sort of prize, prize their ability to do their work without actually having their uh, their name or their face known. Um, and there are some there are some like really big QAnon followers who have still have never been doxxed. There's one called Storm is Upon Us, who, you know, had like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter before he was finally banned. And he was just gone and just, we just never figured out who he was exactly um but yeah there's this the thing is that when you're a not when you're a non there's the there's this kind of like flattening effect 
where um, you know it, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, you could have a small a small audience, a small following, or a big one. But the point is that you're getting the message out. They 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 believe that you know they're doing this this basically they're engaging in information warfare or narrative warfare where they're battling the kind of like the evil cabal narratives and uh, replacing it and red pilling the normies and um, making people more aware of the truth. I think that there's this greater emphasis on like the information that they think is you know so crucial for people to understand uh, rather than like building up a personality. Now, of course, a lot of people did build up quite um, a lucrative following as a consequence of QAnon. But for, I think for a lot of like, yeah, I guess mid-level participants, that's not a big priority. I realized, Travis, that we should not keep your evening too late. So I'll wind towards stop peppering you with questions. But there's been a whole bunch of like figures rise in prominence and disappear or fade away. And there's been concerning movements that you covered. I forget the guy's name, the the one who does the numerology and had like a community, I think, in Las Vegas in a hotel. Um, um, yeah, you're thinking of a uh, man by the name of uh, Michael Protzman. And um, yeah, he had a cult. Uh, he has a cult actually called Negative 48. It's based in Dallas. Um, and uh, it, we actually, we, we spoke to um, a woman whose sister basically fell into the Negative 48 cult for an episode of the QAnon Anonymous. Um, and that is, yeah, that was a really sort of concerning development because like, you know, um, you know, it was a, it's a lot of different. Is is that's that was really the more sort of clear cut kind of like classic cult style, I guess, um, more so than sort of general QAnon, because we had this weird charismatic leader who did, you know, uh, gematria and numerology and like claimed that he they were you know deciphering, um, you know, secret messages and they did weird things like they claimed that you know JFK Jr. would return on Dallas on this particular day and of course he did not come uh so yeah that's that was a that that spun out that's still going on it's a small cult um there's a uh woman on twitter named uh, karma 2023 who follows their developments but yeah that is that is um that is like a you know a, a real disturbing cult that sort of spun out of QAnon. Yeah, and I like I again I'd encourage people to go and listen to the various investigations you guys have done because you've covered a whole bunch of those movements. Um and actually one of our previous guests, Elgin, who covered the the kind of offshoot of the Moonies, um I came across him on your podcast. But the question I wanted to ask is are there any like not necessarily, you know, movements that are just cultish or whatever, but like in the contours of the QAnon world, is there anything that has recently come to your attention which is new or is kind of like something that you would flag up to uh, that 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 seems emerging or different, uh, concerning any anything that you're very concerned about? You know, there's a there's a there's another one that we've actually we've uh, we've devoted two episodes on is the um, Romana Didlo cult up in canada uh there's a there's a woman who um claims that she is the queen of canada and she has her own special flag and she like rents an rv and she makes her own currency and she has like they she she you know she drives around with this following and uh, she convinces her followers, for example, that they don't need to pay their mortgage or their utility bills because she, as Queen of Canada, has 
ta- has all that taken care of for them. And that ends as disastrously as you imagine. And it is, um, it is really horrifying to see these people basically, you know, really wreck their lives because they believe that this woman is somehow took over the country and is now solving all the the social problems. Uh, so that's 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 another one that's essentially a weird QAnon offshoot cult that's ongoing and um, very disturbing. I have come across that lady, and um, it is appealing to have somebody take care of your taxes and all that yeah, stuff for you. Yeah, the, I can so appreciate. We recommend it. that. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the message, Rob. <laughs> no, but look, um, thanks, Travis, for uh, making time in your evening. We'll to speak to us. Um, we'll let you get back to it. It's it's great to have a bit of time to speak to somebody who shares our interest and in why people believe uh, strange things. And congratulations on the success with QAnon Anonymous. It's it's a fun and engaging delivery, and it manages to explore the sort of fascinating and disturbing phenomena of QAnon in a way that doesn't leave people feeling hopelessly depressed. So, congratulations. Most of the time. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that was Travis. That was QAnon Anonymous host Travis View discussing a variety of of topics so many <laughs> so, so many a man who knows a thing or two about QAnon you would have to agree i think chris yes yes and um i a man after our own heart in the approach i think he adopts to looking at these kind of topics so i find it a very informative exchange yeah for me, me, me I mean, one direction <laughs> yeah mainly one direction <laughs> yes you know, one of the more interesting things um, he pointed out was how he wasn't like too concerned just about QAnon as a as an extremist fringe group, which it is in many ways. But it's he wasn't quite as concerned about QAnon as some of these other kind of militia type scary groups. And how he do you remember Chris? How he explained how they because their dark conspiracy also includes kind of like this fantasy of this. Q figure and the various other agents working and Trump and and Trump yeah and that these fantastical figures were going to sort everything out it's got like a salvation aspect to it as well which means that they're a bit more passive and a bit more recreational about it um so I thought that was interesting I didn't know that about QAnon I hadn't thought about that yeah I, I think it helps to just think of these things as having a variety of strands in them like uh this is a little bit reminds me of whenever i was doing my research on religious traditions and you know people have this idea if you say like Taoism, of a specific tradition right but but when you look even especially like in the early days it's all these different groups right that uh like take different things seriously have different approaches and there's there's kind of cores which go together but you can you can kind of distinguish out groups that have very different characteristics, even even if there's, you know, a commonality. And I think QAnon is a bit like that, that there are groups which are definitely more sinister, more concerning. None of them are particularly good, let's, let's face it. But mm-hmm. there are versions which I think are more like the, you know, the traditional JFK conspiracy theorist uh, that, you know, like a bit recreational, ancient alien kind of stuff i mean it's still it still has that kind of right-wing militia 
aspect to mm-hmm. it, which is concerning. But 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 I I do think there's there's a bunch of different strands within it, and that there are ones which are less concerning, or or at least you know, yeah, not more extreme than stuff we'd seen before. One thing I've never understood about QAnon, Chris, maybe you know the answer to this, is why all the funny costumes? And I'm not just talking about the, the guy with the bear hat and the horns, uh, but, you know, often with interviews and stuff like that with QAnon people, they're often wearing extremely flamboyant, surreal costumes that seem to bear little connection to anything. Uh, apart. What's going on? It's just... Americans, Matt. Americans, <laughs> of course. To be dressed like, <laughs> you know, they all—that's just their normal attire. And then, like, it's, it's like they're all street performers in Las Vegas. Like, what's going uh, on? Well, that's probably part of it too. Is you know, Las Vegas and Florida being overrepresented in in those. But yeah, you know, maybe they, maybe they absorbed through osmosis the peacocking of the pickup artists <laughs> so they've all got their you know a big clock or their you know their <laughs> their noose uh, costume or whatever you know that that could be it <laughs> so but i i think it's just the people that are on the news are usually you know selected for a particular effect so okay, okay. yeah okay fair no, enough. it's a trump rally like a trump rally there's there's bound to be some normal <laughs> <people there. laughs> Probably. Yeah. 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 Well, I like your, um, I I your first diagnosis. Americans. That's it. It's just Americans. Yeah. Yeah. It is. They're all crazy. All crazy. Yeah, they're all every, just <laughs> every yeah. mess jack of them. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all saying awesome and incredible and that was superb and these, you know, kind of words that you don't need to use for anything. Yeah. They're always asking you like how Quite was your lunch? Like, yeah. They're always asking you like how was your lunch and telling you to have a heavenly day and things like that. What's wrong with them? Yeah, something's <laughs> up. Something's <laughs> up. Don't trust any of them. Anyway, we like Americans. <laughs> um so we're just having fun. We're just having fun. We know we t- we've talked to the Robert Wright about this. There's lots of different varieties of Americans. Some of them aren't like that. So that's mm. some of them. A couple yeah. of you. Um, yeah. Now, Matt, after that, after alienating a substantial portion of our listenership, mm. let's alienate more <laughs> by reviewing the reviews that we've received um, recently. Mm-hmm. And I will say, still. People haven't done a fantastic job of generating new reviews. I have a, I still have a limited selection to go from, but I've got, I've got a good one and a bad one for this week, so it's okay, it's okay. But you know, come on, the rest of you. Well, you've got one job. <laughs> Everyone's sick of reviewing us. The people who wanted to have done it. Um, That's just true. Yeah, just just don't fall prey to the bystander effect. Don't assume someone else will do it. It's on <laughs> you. Good try, uh, Chris. All right, re- read them out. Give us the first one. Right, so the negative one. I like this. Infuriating. One star out of five. This is by Andrew Walton. So, mm. you know, brave man left his real name, if that is your real name. Um, wow, your interview with Sam Harris was painful. You're disingenuous and cynical. And your holier-than-thou attitude makes people hate educated people like you. You're a bad faith interlocutor, plain and simple. Now, Matt, I thought that was unfairly targeted at you 
you know, <laughs> in the Sam Harris interview, I thought you were relatively reasonable. I, uh, well, we get this feedback a lot that you were just hammering Sam in that. So, yeah. you know. Yep. You're my hate magnet, Chris. You just have taken all the hate and it makes you stronger. I like it. Um, yeah, look, I think that phrase, bad faith interlocutor. No, that's pretty good. Yeah, but he's just cribbed it from somewhere. That's one of these stock phrases that... Uh, Is he? You know, are you accusing him of being a GPT critic, Bob? <laughs> I know, no, just an NPC. Just a, oh, just, a, just a, oh, that's, yeah, that's even worse. You can, chat GPT could do it better. But, well, I, I, my issue with this is not, like, as a review, you know, content analysis-wise, I'd actually give it pretty good marks because I think consistent message, yep. concisely delivered. <laughs> yep. And, you know, <laughs> not, not too much beating around, get straight to the point. It's good. And, yeah. you, and the real name. That's what I like to see. My objection, though, Matt, is what is he doing? Listen, how long ago did we talk to Sam Harris? It's like years ago now, isn't it? It's like five years, ten years ago. Who knows how many? He's listened to a very old episode and then be like, I must leave my review about this episode. And I just, come That's- on. Chris, come on, that's fine. I mean, what's the back catalogue for if not for people to listen to it? I mean, well, but if you go back and make yourself angry, that's your own fault. <laughs> it's not our <laughs> fault. So you can't. I feel if you go into the back catalogue, it's on you. People have warned you what is going to be there, and if you're a Sam Harris fan, we need to put a trigger warning on it. Chris, I, I'm just loving this because you know what's going to happen. You know, the oh. internet is forever. Once the content is up there. It's in the cloud. Oh. It's never going away. One day, you're going to be in a retirement home strapped to your VR milking machine or whatever it is or they've got you in, and you're going to look at your little device, whatever they're using there, and you're going to be getting hate <laughs> for the yeah. Sam Harris interview. It'll say, why did you disparage the 56th president, Sam <laughs> AI Bart Harris, <laughs> the, the, the interview you conducted in... 2021 or whenever it was um but yeah so that was the negative review matt we'll we'll accept that we graciously accept it we welcome the feedback thank you for your comments andrew mm-hmm. and now for somebody sensible um <laughs> and this one says pressured to review <laughs> and this is from yebra 74 five stars that's the critical point but it says Terrible podcast, five stars. If I could, I'd give more. Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. It's a, mm. it's a, you know, one of those modern irony post things, Matt, you know, the kids today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's considered clever by the kids these days to be contradictory. Um, well, yeah. And, and by us, because we told people <laughs> to do that. But <laughs> they, they can write negative reviews and leave five stars. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So, but they, need, they need to elaborate on how terrible we are whilst giving us a five star review and I think expressing their excitement about hearing more. Um, it's going to confuse some people, though, because we've got quite a few of those reviews. <laughs> so imagine if you were reading it and you're just like, you know, this is the worst <laughs> podcast ever, five stars. Like, um, like, like this is a podcast that's listened to by people with multiple personality disorder or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and we did get a review that called us a pair of beta, beta meals, beta meals, Attempting to validate themselves by tirelessly repeating the propaganda. And the title of that review is 
beat him nails. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like I like yeah. that one, but but crucially, just to check whether it's tongue in cheek or not, how many stars? One star, and oh. it's from Ben, ben Genius. <laughs> oh, so it's no, legitimate. It's, we're we, legitimate beat him nails. And no, sorry, Sigma, Sigma. Come on, obviously <laughs> Sigmas. <laughs> so yeah, but that's uh, that's our reviews for this week, Matt. That's Did you okay. enjoy that? That's okay. Yep, I'll take it. I'll take it. Very yeah. good. All right. Tell us about our lovely, lovely Patreons. Oh, yeah, I will. I will. And yeah, I'm still, I just, I'm always very upset about the tracking on this. It's just a constant source of pain for me. But you know what um, you should have done? You know what you should have what? done? Instead of promising that you're going to get to everyone, it should have been a lucky dip. Like every week, what we do is we read out oh. whatever, five random names. And it's like a it's like a random prize draw every week, and you know you could get called out twice, three times, five times. You could be one of the lucky ones. You could just never get you know it, it, the tension, the frisson would attract people. Well, that would have been useful, but I can't. Well, maybe it might. You know, we'll have a chat. <laughs> let's let's discuss this further. But um, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out people. That's what I'm going to do, Matt. And it, 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 it is actually much like you described. It's a lottery. It's a lottery. Um, and so this week, conspiracy hypothesizers, we have Hugo Hewson, Ed74, Tom Hehe-Man, uh, Nonical3, Matthew Benjamin, Fenner, Dan Spencer, Peter Moon, Lalit Varada, Lalit Varada, oops, Al Usher, Alwick Lopez, and Xiao Xiao Li. Well done, Chris. Uh, thank you, everybody. Conspiracy hypothesizers, Matt. And just for a little change. I feel like there was a conference that none of us were invited to that came to some very strong conclusions, and they've all circulated this list of correct answers. Now, I wasn't at this conference. This kind of shit makes me think, man. It's almost like someone is being paid. Like when when you hear these George Soros stories, mm-hmm. well, he's trying to destroy the country from within. We are not going to advance conspiracy theories. We will advance conspiracy hypotheses. Yes. So that is our conspiracy hypothesizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, revolutionary thinkers matt you know them revolutionary geniuses chris but yes it it depends on the week where we refer to them as revolutionary geniuses or thinkers they're actually the one thing about them is they're quite sometimes hard to detect you have to look carefully but i did see one emma i also saw anna garrett martin pelchat Paul Bowman, and then I was looking around and found British Waters, and and last Matt, I saw Patrick Nelson with the Bullshito um, account. <laughs> so, huh. so yeah, that's that's what I saw on our revolutionary thinkers, geniuses, uh, whatever the case might be. That's good. That's good. Well, we see you. You see, you are seen, mm. and I'm for a little throwback. Maybe you can spit out that hydrogenated thinking 
and let yourself feed off of your own thinking. What you really are is an unbelievable thinker and researcher, a thinker that the world doesn't know. That was the old clip, Matt. I just thought, you know, just for a little change and bring back the other one, you know, just messing things up. <laughs> well, a variety to spice of life. I mean, the consequence not as good as the new ones, but still, it's good, good That's to mix right. it up. So now the galaxy brain level, the, the tippy top of the Patreon hierarchy, the most actualized. In many ways, they're, you know, the top of the competence hierarchy. <laughs> First um, among equals. Yes. Yeah. And again, difficult to spot, <laughs> difficult to spot in certain ways. So we have Sean Chinnery. We have. <laughs> They're a bit rare, rarer than we would like. You're right. You're right. They're very hard to spot in this particular format that I have things. Um Jesus, they're rare, but the okay. kind of things, the kind of things you would you wouldn't even see across multiple pages as you scrolled. There's one, <laughs> Kim Young Poon, Kim Young Poon. So, thank you to Kim. Then maybe that's enough. There's maybe. one more, Matt. There's bound to be one more lurking lurking amongst the grass. There, there's one, Alicia Mahani. Alicia Mahani. Mahani. Thank you. Mahani. Well, thank you, everyone. And for everyone else, look, look, you see how difficult you're making Chris's life by not being a top-tier Patreon. I mean, I don't want you to feel bad about yourselves, but you saw the, the difficulties he was experiencing there. You know, you could do something about it. Up to you. You don't have to. It's optional. Just I'll saying. edit them to 50% less painful, but they are still going to be there. <laughs> there. And, you know, I'll just say that Dan Lev 151 and Eric Quirk, they don't need to worry about it because they are also Galaxy uh, Free right, <laughs> contributors. Right. You so stuck a couple more in there, right? Eh? Okay, that's yeah. fine. It's breaking the format, but that's okay. And they've got this to thank them as well. You're sitting on one of the great scientific stories that I've ever heard, and you're so polite. And, hey, wait a minute. Am I an expert? I kind of am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't trust people at all. You certainly don't. <laughs> and they don't <laughs> trust you anymore, Scott Adams. So <laughs> sorry, you've been you've been cancelled, my friend. Um but you know, just yeah. as a as a final little treat, Chris, for our listeners, I'd like to do something as a surprise. Just, okay. Just to just to wrap No, uh, to express <laughs> my appreciation for everybody. I'm gonna read out because it's sitting right in front of me. The, the titles of the recommended James Lindsay videos on YouTube. These are the ones that are sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. uh, the Woke Rejection of the Reasonable. Yep. That's introducing introducing Counter-Woke-Craft. Counter-Woke-Craft, wow. <laughs> Antonio Gransky, Cultural Marxism, Wokeness and Leninism 4.0. 4.0. Are we up to 4.0? There's been three previous versions. He's improved his... Is analysis amazing? <laughs> what radicalized you, James Lindsay? I don't know. Yeah, was it? Was it, the was, <laughs> it was his Joe Rogan appearance. It's <laughs> the disappointing answer. People being um, into on Twitter. Uh, woke, comma Mao, comma and the American Cultural Revolution. 
Here mm. we go. It's all happening all over again. Hegel, wokeness, and the dialectical faith of leftism. Uh, Jesus Christ. I know. It's insane. Theoretical lensing, totalitarianism, and the progressive impulse, ideological totalism in the woke cult. Bit of a theme he's there, getting, isn't it? He's getting, he's running out of the ways to rearrange those adjectives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's going to be, I mean, but, uh, you know, full marks for consistency, though. I mean, he's sticking with the plan, sticking with the agenda. Yeah, that's it. So, well, let's consign him to the dust heap. And um, listen, the next guru we're going to cover, it'll be a woman. They'll have a, a, a Y chromosome because we haven't had a female guru in a while and we're trying to get a bit more um, for this season. Mm-hmm. So... We haven't decided who it is yet. We've had suggestions. People want us to do Oprah. <laughs> uh, we're also yeah. putting out we're also putting out feelers to having some non-guru, interesting, intelligent guests of the female persuasion, and we're just waiting for some positive answers there too. Well, yeah, but we don't even need the set map because it's so obvious, <laughs> so yeah. obvious. They're always there. They're just the feelers are out, always attempting to reach women. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's fine. That's fine to <laughs> yeah, say that's that. Right. That's the way to say it. Yes, that's normal. Uh, yeah, so good job, Matt. Well done. Thank you, Travis. Good luck out there. <laughs> watch, watch out for the gated institutional narrative and the distributed idea suppression complex. You know the drill. I know the drill. Uh, goodbye. Good luck, everybody. Ciao.